0: All right, this morning, uh, for those who are guests, my name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team. I'm really glad you're with us. It's good to have you in both the East Auditorium and in the West Auditorium. And I want you to take your Bible, please, today and turn to Matthew chapter 3. It's about this far through the Bible. If you don't own a Bible, there are Bibles in the East Auditorium being passed out right now in the room. And here in the West, they are in the rack. Grab that and take it home. If you don't own a Bible, we would be glad if you would uh, consider it our gift to you. I want to start today uh, with a very, um, it's kind of a little, bit, a little bit preacher nerdy stuff, okay? Uh, so can you, can you listen and see if you can answer a question for me that I said is, well, I want to start with a dilemma that's in Scripture. Now, you may not know this dilemma is there, but I want to point it out to you and I want to see if you can help me figure out the answer the dilemma and how to solve it. It's really in Genesis. While you've got your Bible open in in Matthew, we'll be getting to it in just a minute, but on the screen you're going to see a passage of scripture from the book of Genesis. The following statement starts the account, if you will, of the um, creation of Adam and Eve. It goes this way, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord made the earth and the heavens. And what I want you to do is pay attention to that word account, all right? That's how we say it in English, though we would say it, it's a translation for the, for the Hebrew word toldoth, Okay. And it could be translated a variety of different ways. It could be written as account. It could be, maybe, say, the history. You could see, if you could read it that way, this is the history of the heavens and the earth. It could also be written, this is the family line. This is how things came together. You could almost say, this is the genealogy of the heavens and earth when they were created. And it goes from there. But what's interesting is that when that word first appears in Scripture right here in Genesis chapter 2, it's spelled correctly in Hebrew. But immediately after this use of it, it is consistently throughout all of Scripture, not well, for many generations, many centuries, the word is misspelled, purposely. And it goes from actually having six Hebrew letters to only five. And why is that? Well, the word becomes distorted, it becomes misspelled, it becomes defective, if you will, the very moment that Adam and Eve first sinned. And so you have this understanding that sin, in the first humans, that sin corrupts the toldoth, it corrupts the history, the account, the family, the genealogy of the people of Scripture. And the word remains, as I said, corrupted for generations until way later in Scripture, when it finally again appears in Hebrew in the right spelling with six letters back attached to it. And the question, of course, is why did the writers over many centuries consistently misspell the word and then why did they choose to start spelling it correctly, right? Or perhaps a better question might be, how does it get corrected? That's what we're going to figure out today in Matthew chapter 3. You go, well, I don't know, I didn't see all that in Matthew 3. Well, let me see if I could give you some understanding of what's going on here. I want you to take a look at these balloons. And tell me, what colors do you see in these balloons? It should be fairly simple for most of us in the room. This is yellow, right? Can you see that on the screen? This is? And this one is? Red. Now, for most in you know watching today you can you can see those colors fairly well but did you know there are some people who can't really tell the difference between all those colors at least as vibrantly as most in the room can within within caucasian people we have an inherited problem that 8 out of every 100 men 8% of the men so we have more than 100 men here today 8% of the men cannot see those colors it's called being colorblind. The ladies are much better at this. Uh, it takes uh, only half percent, so one in out of every two hundred ladies are colorblind, which is why I think you'll know that the women will say, "Why are you wearing that? Those things don't go together." You know. So the ladies are better at this than the men, as a general rule. It's in, it's in, it's inherited within us. Okay. So, so um, perhaps you are also aware that there are tests you can take to figure out if you're really colorblind. For example, take a look at the screen right now, and don't say it yet, but do you see a number there? All right, so we're going to give you two tests, and now say, what's the number? Some, Some men probably are saying, I don't see a number there, because I know there are some guys in our congregation who are colorblind. I know who they are, all right? Well, here's another one. Don't say it out loud. You should see, I'll tell you what, you should see a 15. You don't see 15? I see 15. No, it's actually a 27, isn't it? Some of you go, bless his heart, bless his heart, okay. So a lot of people can't see colors like correctly, and, and we get that. And by accident, recently... A glass lens company found out that they were making some lenses by mistake. They were about to pitch them and so forth and so on. And they discovered that they could actually be used to help color blindness. And so we gave our Arts Academy students, our young kids, an assignment. Um, Can you create a collage video of people seeing colors for the first time? So this week, our young people went out online and created this brief video showing you what the response of people when they wear these lenses for the first time and the world comes alive with color watch what our young kids have put together for us your phone looks different it's like this looks very like pretty similar but this pink like this The, the houses, like I can tell what color they are. Like that one right there. Yeah, I'm gonna... That one right there's brown. Yeah? That one's red. Yeah, you're right. I did not know these were different colors yeah. before. Look at your kid's eyes, Petey. They're so pretty. Can you, is it very noticeable difference? Oh, yeah. That's, I'm shaking. <laughs> it's so real! <laughs> it is real! It is real! Now you can drive <laughs> Look at the cow, man! <laughs> you can tell orange. Yeah. What else is it? What are you talking about? The streamers. Wait a second. Ah! That's green! I thought it was all orange. That bush right there? Amazing! Close your eyes and then open them. Look at the towel and dad. You know that each of those people you saw, has a, their life has a story behind it, right? All their lives, right up until that moment, there were hidden colors right in front of them, colors they'd never seen before. But new lenses opened up a whole world of vibrancy and color. Fascinating, isn't it? it, it, That happens not only with those kinds of lenses, but in other ways as well. People who get educated, who move from uneducated to educated, it's like their minds are kind of blown at times. Or, Or even just frankly, the ability to read, which many of us assume is normal, we know is not the norm for some people. And for those people, they look and they don't see what's written in front of them. Life is difficult. When they learn to read it opens up. Movies. Movies open our imagination to wonder. Travel opens our lives to differing cultures. Telescopes. You can look up in the sky and say, well, there's stars up there. You look through a telescope and suddenly there are all kinds of things up there that you weren't able to see beforehand. Or in the opposite direction, microscopes. You can look in a microscope and you can see a world alive with animals and cells that can't normally be seen. So if you go with, with the right tools, you can see in the far reaches, of far away portions of space, in these large, vast spaces, or in a microscope, you can see the inner workings of DNA. There are things to be seen in both places that you don't see normally. Jesus um, had something to say about that. Like, look around, he says, listen, pay it, he said, put it this way, whoever has ears, let him hear. In other words, pay attention, listen, look for what might be hidden, look for what's unseen, that, look for what you don't know what to expect. And that's what we're going to discover in Genesis 2 today, where we read this corrupted language, this word that is messed up throughout most of Scripture, this meaning of genealogy or account or family, how does the word get changed back to its correct spelling and why? Well, the answer to that is in Matthew chapter 3. And if you read Matthew chapter 3 beginning at verse 13, you could frankly probably just blindly skip over. But I invite you to put on some spiritual lens today. Look for the colors that you wouldn't normally see. Read with me Matthew chapter 3 beginning in verse 13. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It's a proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And so, with that, John said, Okay, I'll baptize you. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. So for guests with us today, we are slowly making our way through the book of Matthew. We've been doing it for four weeks, we're only up to chapter 3, you can see it's going to take a while, okay? And as we closed off our time last week together, we were more or less coming to the end of chapter 2, where... Jesus and his family, we, we left his family with, with Jesus in Egypt. He was a little boy, little baby, not quite two years old. And the narrative of his early life and his um, childhood had come, his birth and all that sort of stuff had come to a close. And so now we, we quickly, by the time we get to chapter 3, there are a whole lot of years in between, like about 28 years. He goes from being two years old, baby in arms, to here in Matthew chapter 3, he's 30 years of age. And so his boyhood, his adolescence, his early career as a young man in his late teens and 20s, we don't know all about it. We do know a few things. The Bible gives us some details um, in this regard, that we know that his family made the trek from Egypt to Judea. And his father, the father family, his stepfather really, Jesus' stepfather, he set up a carpentry business. We know that at some point when Jesus was about 12 years old, they traveled to Jerusalem and Jesus spent time chatting with the wise religious leaders of his day at that moment. But really, that's as much as we know. It's a lot of years and then suddenly here, the next time we see Jesus is in Matthew 3 and he's getting baptized. Why that? What, what, what's with this passage? Is there something here that we should learn? If you were, I was to ask you to read it again, what would you discover? And what would you say, well, this is the reason it's here. Some would say, well, you know, Wayne, that, that's there because it's, it's about the Trinity. You've got the Father in heaven speaking, you know, this is my son. You've got Jesus getting baptized and you've got the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove. And I suppose that's a possibility of what's there. But I don't know that's the full extent of the story. Others might say, well, you know, Wayne, this story is really about baptism. Here we've got Jesus being baptized, that says we should all get baptized. And I, I want to go, well, okay, I don't know that that's really the point of the, point of the story. Uh, there are other more cogent places in Scripture that speak about our responsibility of being baptized. I'd like to suggest, though, that while this passage gives us information about the Trinity and about baptism in general, it's not the full reason why this story is included in the Scriptures. As a matter of fact, it goes back to Genesis chapter 2. Think of it this way. This is the beginning of Jesus' adult ministry. He's about to move from obscurity. He's going to start having a following. People are going to start following him around the countryside. He's, if you will, just about to launch his ministry career that's going to forever change the course of human history. It says as such in the next chapter, verse 17, it says... From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And so, this is right as Jesus is launching his ministry. What's going on? Well, we've said in recent weeks that Matthew wrote this biography wanting his Jewish readers... The people who wrote, read this first are Jewish. He wanted them to see Jesus as God's authoritative son. And he, I told you, he will repeatedly present Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. And Matthew really wants his, his readers to know of Jesus' identity. And so the story of Jesus' baptism is all about his identity because Matthew records God saying, this, this big declaration, this is my son. And what's going on here? is that Matthew is showing how the messed up told off, the word that is all misspelled throughout most of Scripture, he is showing how that story is going to be put right. And to help you understand that, think deeply with me today. You may not be aware of this, but throughout the New Testament, when the term Son of God is mentioned it usually has some reference or or other to the way in which, uh, if you will, it points to the significance of Jesus' atoning sacrifice for sin. So when we read in Matthew chapter 3 that God from heaven calls Jesus his son... God in heaven, as the baptism is taking place, is pointing out the long-term and effective goal of Jesus' arrival on earth. The right word, theological word, is efficacious, if you will. It's fully effective. That there's something that is completely finished and and it's done by the coming of Jesus Christ. It's about his journey from heaven to earth, from Godhead to humanity, from the very nature of God to the very nature of of servanthood. And right here, right here, by saying something about Jesus being the Son of God, we immediately learn of his death. Now, again, you may not see that in that passage at first glance, but throughout the course of the Bible, when you see the term Son of God, it's always about, it's always about some atoning death, okay? So Matthew's story of Jesus' baptism is about Jesus' mission, that he came to die as a sacrifice for humanity's sin. And at first, John doesn't get this. You've got the two play- players in this story, John and Jesus, and uh, you've got to remember who they are. They're cousins, right? They've grown up together. They're, they're about the same age, separated by just a few months. Uh, when Mary was pregnant with Jesus, she shows up at, at John's mother's house, Elizabeth, and she lives with them for a little while, and so the two ladies are pregnant together. And John would have known of the miraculous circumstances of Jesus' birth. And so that's why he's saying, no, I shouldn't be baptizing you. Don't you know you're, you're kind of like God? You know, I'm, I'm some itinerant preacher. You should be baptizing me. But then Jesus says, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do what? For us to fulfill all righteousness. There's, there's something going on here. There's something, there's a mission in mind. We have to do this to complete something or other. It's got to be fulfilled. It's the same word that we've been looking at in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 in recent weeks where Jesus said, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The same Greek word in both verses. What are they fulfilling? What is going on? What are they hoping to complete? Well, Jesus is clearly pointing to a project in mind that... He says, this has been been coming for a long time. All the Law and the Prophets, the whole story of Scripture has led to this point in human history. There's an end game in mind, Jesus' death and resurrection. He's aware, my death and resurrection will bring to all human history a fulfilling focal point. Because remember, it's not long after this, on the cross, what does Jesus say? It is finished. There's this storyline that starts in Genesis 2, say, this is the account, this is the told off of the heavens and the earth. That told off gets messed up. And then Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to fix all that. And God out of heaven says, this is my son. So there's a sacrifice involved. And then Jesus gets to the cross and says, it is finished. Death and sin are defeated. Humanity's humanness is restored. The corrupted told-off of history is made new. And there's something fascinating about this. That told-off, that account, that history applies to you because your sins can be forgiven. Your life can be fulfilled. There are places of distortion in your relationships. There are places where you could say you have messed up the spelling of your life. Does that make sense? You have made some poor choices in the past. Perhaps others' influence have caused a disruption in what you know to be a better life approach, a better account of your history. And something just got out of whack. I'm convinced that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the fulfillment of all human history, the atoning sacrifice for sin, can restore your life to the original plan that God had in mind for you. And there's something in Scripture that tells us to that regard. Again, take a look at the passage in Genesis. Remember how we said the word toldoth got messed up right after the creation of the heavens and the earth. It says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. It's spelled correctly that way in Hebrew, but from that point on, it's misspelled. This business of the account, the history, the genealogy. The writers in Hebrew put a little clue in there saying there's something that's absolutely wacky and wonky and it's out of place because they literally misspell the word over and over and over again, until way later in Scripture, in the book of Ruth, suddenly the word is spelled correctly. Why did they decide in the book of Ruth to say, okay, from now on, though, we'll spell it right. We're talking about centuries. We're talking about dozens of different writers. And yet they say, we'll misspell it, and then when we get to the right moment, we'll start spelling it correctly. Ruth, this then is the family line of the account, or the told-off, of Perez. Now, they're just going to give us a genealogy now. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Minadab, and Minadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz, father... um, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Why right then would they suddenly take this word, which they've been misspelling ever since sin entered the world, why would they suddenly then say, in this family genealogy, we're going to spell it correctly? Well, it goes back to the whole business of the Perez family. You say, I don't remember the Perez's. Who were they? Who were they? Why do the Perez's get to have the word spelled correctly when for centuries it's been misspelled? Well, again, it's lost in English, but the Perez family, that word in Hebrew actually means breakthrough. And what's, what's saying, that by naming them Perez, God is saying, I'm breaking through the history of humanity, I'm breaking through the corrupted account of history, the distorted told-off, and I'm repairing that, all that history, through the family of Perez. You go, oh, well, that's really nice, Wayne, who are the Perez's? Well, that's the same genealogy Pastor Brian led us through in Matthew 1 a few weeks ago. It ends up with, look again, can you pull, a, pull that slide back up for us, please, Barb, if you don't mind? Okay, notice who the last person in that line is there. Who is it? Who? So David was the great-great-great-grandson of the Perez's, right? Who was the great-great-great-great-grandson of David? Jesus. Catch what's going on here. Told off is messed up at sin. It's spelled correctly at first, then it's messed up. All the way throughout Scripture until you get to the Perez family, who is, by the way, Jesus' family. So you have throughout Scripture then this storyline that the first Adam corrupted the account of humanity, but through the family of Perez, a breakthrough, that's their name, means in English, a breakthrough will be fulfilled. The corruption will be made right by someone from the family of Perez, frankly, namely the young man that's being baptized here in Matthew 3. Jesus was the descendant who brought the breakthrough, and that's why Jesus says it's proper for us to do this. For you to baptize me to do what? To bring it all back in round square. To fulfill all righteousness. And then God out of heaven says the way in which he's going to do that is because he is my son. And we say when God says this is my son what's that about? The atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's a whole big puzzle that fits together. It's, been a, it's a plan that's been in play for a long time and it's all there if you know where to look. And you go, but I didn't know where to look. Well, Let me see if I can explain it this way. I want you to take a look at a uh, a photo of a a lake in Austria. It's called the Gruner Lake. Looks like a lovely place, doesn't it? Uh, Lots of mountains around. You would think there's all kinds of, there's got to be trails around it and maybe park benches to sit by and look at it and just enjoy the calmness of the water and the sun shining down. It's not a very deep lake. It's about usually about 3 to 7 feet deep. And as I said, there are indeed trails all around it. And you can, you know, enjoy the, enjoy the scenery. Except in the summer. Excuse me. In the summer, as the snow comes off the mountains and it melts, the water fills that lake and it goes from being 3 to 7 feet deep to actually 39 feet deep. That's, you would think, would be a problem for the park that the Austrians have built around it, right? What happens to the park? The park goes underwater. What's fascinating is in the summer, you can still go around the park if you put on diving gear. Divers come along and they swim through the trails. They sit on the benches and they see the lake from a completely different perspective. Look at these photos. This is the lake so it, it, it doesn't look like it's underwater, right? You see the trail in the lower left? They can swim along the trail. They could sit on the bench that on the, in the middle on the, on the far right. That's a tree. It's not seaweed. It's not something from underwater. So for a number of weeks, the park is underwater. But if you show up in Austria at Gruner Lake in the middle of the summer, you wouldn't know that you're actually looking at a park that is submerged. You'd, oh, you'd see something of beauty, Yes but you'd miss the details below the water. Friends, here's what I know about Scripture. The Bible can be read as it stands, absolutely. You don't have to always have some special key. But some people just read it and don't really dig deep. If you just kind of take it at first glance, you could legitimately say Jesus is a good guy. Uh, Maybe you should listen to some of his teachings on forgiveness and peace and kindness. and all that's great. But I want to tell you, Friends, there's more to the story. There's a deeper meaning in Jesus' life. It's part of this overall plan that God says, okay, the the account that told us got messed up. And I'm going to work for centuries to bring about a new way of doing life. And and I'm going to send a son. And when I say the son of God, it's going to mean he's going to die. It's going to be an atoning sacrifice. There are more colors to be seen. Sometimes we look at spirituality as if they're all blend together. And I would suggest to your friends that you could ask the Holy Spirit to make the colors of Scripture vibrant to you and life-changing. The corrective lens of God's Spirit is calling you to a relationship with Jesus Christ. The storyline of your life, the told off, if you will, the account, the history of your life, the, the, the way in which your life is unfolded, I'm convinced it can be forever made more vibrant through the work of Jesus Christ. Your story, just like Jesus said, it's important that we do this so, that it will be, so the story will be fulfilled. In the midst of the struggles, in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the, uh, of life. I believe that the beauty of your life will be revealed if you let God open up the full colors, the vibrancy of your life, down below the surface. See, Jesus' baptism declares He is God's Son, that He is the fulfillment of all human history. That fulfillment is found in and through him. And I'm convinced that your fulfilled story will be found in him as well. The corrected view of your history without distortion, without corruption, without misspelling is available to him. The full and complete told us of your life is going to be discovered lurking beneath the waters of the portion of your soul that others can't see. Go deeper. Allow God to work way down deep and say, God, fix this stuff down here. And allow the colors of your life to come forth. Discover Jesus Christ. Discover God's one and only Son, Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, for my friends here today, in both auditoriums, God, I pray that you would work in all of our lives. We are men and women, we are young people, Lord, who have some misspellings, some distortions, some... I guess you could say some things that got messed up and corrupted along the way. And I pray, God, would you bring the reality of the vibrancy and the colors of life that you have for us. Bring them to reality through the work of your Jesus, through the work of your Son, our atoning sacrifice for sin, Jesus Christ. We want to step into new ways of doing life. We want to step into... A history that you've laid out. It took, Lord, centuries for you to take the told off of Genesis and make it correct through that line of the family of Perez, Lord, and it comes to fruition in Jesus Christ. We're going to we're gonna choose to place our faith and our trust in him, even on the days, Lord, when we, we got questions. In the midst of the questions, help us to look deeply within us, ourselves as your Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and as your Holy Spirit gives us courage to say, we don't want just the beauty that's on the surface. We want to see what's underneath the surface. We want to see the paths and the places of beauty that you've already got under there. Bring them forth, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.